The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you on this glorious weekend. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott. I, I say glorious because the uh, tax deadline has come and gone and we're all still uh, still here standing. Uh, yes. And, and, and reminder, if, if you haven't done it, if you owe, there's a penalty there, too. Yeah, there is a 5% penalty had you not submitted. As long as you submitted, you're OK. You get away from that 5% and you'll have to pay an interest penalty. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, that's minor. For those that are getting a refund, there's no penalty other than the fact you're not getting your money. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, why let the government keep that money? And uh, on both notes, yeah, it's, if you owed a lot, it's, uh, it's, you know, you've written that check and gotten rid of it and it's game over, thankfully, and you don't have to worry about it for another year. And, uh, you know, I, I, I look at this and as a segue to our next topic, we, you know, it's not worth ruining your life over this tax problem, okay? And <laughs> Jay has a lot of talk about life insurance. He wants to go over and life insurance mistakes. But honestly, there's nothing... <laughs> There's no connection between paying the government and life insurance. It's just a coincidence. You know what? Uh, I'll, I'll segue into that, but I, I was interested in, I, I went by uh, Revenue Kennedy here in Hamilton uh, off Bay Street, and they used to have a box where you could drop yeah. off your taxes and save yourself the, the stamp. But I guess everyone e-files now, so I guess that doesn't <laughs> exist. I guess that doesn't exist anymore. Funny enough, we did that also, Jay, and uh, my wife went in and they are doing it, but not in Hamilton. In Winnipeg, they are and other cities, but for okay. some reason, they say it's a COVID thing. So uh, anyway, it doesn't seem to be COVID in some other cities, but in Hamilton, it's still affecting it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Anyways, back back to the life insurance mistake. So um, a lot of people uh, reviewing their financial plans, reviewing what's going on when they do their income taxes, wondering if they should be putting money in RSPs, how to get rid of that tax bill next year, all that kind of stuff. The one thing that people generally don't bring up because it doesn't come up on your income taxes is your life insurance. And most people, you know, they take, they take their policy, they, they get it underwritten and they put it in place and then it goes into a drawer and they never look at it again. So my, my advice to you is the first, first mistake is that people don't look at them. So uh, the best way is to pull out the policy, see what you have, sit down with your financial planner, review what you have, your needs change over time, your goals change over time, uh, family dynamics change over time, meaning, you know, marriage, divorce, kids, grandchildren, deaths, Um, So lots of things change over time. And just because you put a policy in place and you think you've done the right thing, and that's a step in the right direction, but it's, it's definitely not the end. Um, You really want to pull those out annually or every couple of years with your, with your planner and make sure that you reviewed it. Um, Especially these old whole life policies of these old universal life policies where they could have been, they could have had coverage in place. You could have paid for them already. They're not paying premiums anymore. So they just, like I said, sit in the bottom of a, a cupboard or something like that. So you forget about them because you're not paying the premiums anymore. So you think they're good. Well, a lot of these policies, you know, if your parents took out a policy when you're a teen, 
Um, and it was for $50,000. And it seemed like a lot of money when you're 50, when it, when you're 18, $50,000 seemed like a lot of money. Well, now you're looking at it and saying, okay, you know, the price of houses, average price of a house is a million dollars and you got a $50,000 life insurance policy. It really yeah. isn't that, it really isn't that much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically Jay, they've gone from being able to buy a house to not being able to afford a down payment on a house. Yeah. 50,000. Or buy a car, even with the 50,000. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, the needs change, inflation changes, just everything overall changes. So there's lots of lots of mistakes that can be made in these policies that that people aren't, aren't aware of. So I'm not going to get into the amounts of coverage and what 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 that's what's important, because that changes for every individual person. Again, you need to sit down with someone and go through what your needs are. But some of the big mistakes are um, identifying beneficiaries. So you could include or unintentionally exclude a child or grandchild on your insurance policy. So a lot of people will name beneficiaries on policies. Let's say uh, you wanted to name, uh, you took out a policy and you want to name one of your grandchildren as a, as a beneficiary, but now there's three or four more grandchildren that you haven't named. So you definitely don't want to exclude someone um, or intentionally uh, include someone on one of these policies. So you want to make sure that you've got that covered. Um, again, you might include someone that you want to exclude. So spouses from divorced children, if you've got a, a, a spouse and you want to name their spouse and, and their, and their, uh, and your child, um, sometimes, sometimes when a divorce comes along, you, you want to make sure that they're excluded. Uh, family members that have passed away. So if you name someone in a, in a will or in a, in a life insurance policy that's passed away, if you, if you have a certain percentage in there, that's fine. But if you put a dollar value in there to that person, now that goes to their estate. Um, so you want to make sure that you've reviewed that if someone's passed away and they're, they're designated in your, in your policy, you want to make sure that's, that's taken care of. Another one is business owners, business policies. So a lot of business owners will take out policies on their key man or on one of their partners. And if the business is sold or that key person doesn't work for them anymore and they haven't reviewed those policies and they think they've got everyone covered, um, often they've got these policies with their business partners as the beneficiaries and maybe the business doesn't even exist anymore. So definitely want to review that. Um, making your estate as beneficiary, often this is the default. If you don't know who you want to make as beneficiary, so you're 19 or 20 years old, you get a policy and you don't, don't know who you want to leave the money to, so you just leave it to your estate. And then 20 years goes by and you, you've been married and you've got kids and you, you still have your estate as beneficiary. So you want to make sure that you don't name your estate beneficiary. There is There are circumstances where the estate does make sense and it's a strategy that you, you form with your will. But in general, naming an estate as a beneficiary is not not common practice um, makes the estate go through probate and so there's undue fees that you'd have to pay um, and then maybe your wish is exactly what they want so the the nice thing about life insurance is it goes tax-free to the beneficiaries so naming a beneficiary that you want the money to go to um, allowing these funds to go tax-free to those beneficiaries is definitely something you want to look at um, not providing proper trustees for minor children. So you name your kids as beneficiaries of these policies and, and then not naming a trustee. If you don't name a trustee for, for the children beneficiaries, what happens is the, the province of Ontario, in, in, in Ontario, the province takes over and manages the money for your state. So these kids that, let's say you think you're doing the right thing, and we have a client that actually did this, thought they're doing the right thing, naming their kids as beneficiaries. Um, there was a $500,000 policy naming each, each one of the three kids as beneficiaries. And, and they didn't name a trustee. And so the, the, 
the the person that was insured was married and they, they were a successful marriage. So there was no issues with that, not naming the, the spouse's beneficiary, but she thought she was doing the right thing by naming the kids as beneficiary. Well, she ends up passing away. All the funds from that, those proceeds of that life insurance policy, which could have been used to raise the children, were used, uh, were put into in, in trust for the in the public trustee and were not accessible till the kids were 18. And that that performs another dynamic is that now these kids are getting the money when they're 18. So they haven't had any money. They weren't able to use the money while they were, when they needed the money, when they're minors, maybe paying off a mortgage or, or, or using for, you know, kids sports or something like that. The money sat in trust until they were 18. Mind you, it was growing with interest and, and gains, but um, it sat in trust and it wasn't accessible. So you, you really want to make sure that you uh, name the, the proper trustee. And then also naming minor children generally isn't good practice either. Um, again, just for what I said there, that the kids, the money stays in trust until they're 18. Um, and then once they're 18, um, they get access to the full, the full fund. So you want to definitely make sure that you're addressing that. A uh, good segue into the next one is uh, if you have any kids with special needs, so, um, our adult children with special needs, and you want to make sure they're taken care of, make sure that you've identified that. So maybe you're, maybe when your ch children were born, you took out these policies, you didn't realize that the kids had special needs and now they have special needs and they're adults. Um, maybe you want to make sure that that's addressed. Um, designating dollar amounts from policies. You know, if you take out a million dollar life insurance policy and you, you have four or five beneficiaries and you give $200,000 to each one of them, naming the dollar amount generally isn't a good practice either. Um, I'd rather you, you name uh, a percentage of the, the amount as opposed to the dollar amount, especially in a whole life policy or a, or a universal life policy where there's a cash value and the, the actual death benefit could increase over time. If you name a dollar amount, um, then there's then there's uh, the additional amount that's not identified could either go through your estate or it doesn't get divided equally amongst the, the five beneficiaries. Um, so you definitely want to put a percentage in as opposed to a dollar amount. Um, contingent beneficiaries. Um, a lot of people won't name a contingent beneficiary. So if someone you name someone as a beneficiary in your policy, and then uh, they pass away and you don't change the policy or don't edit the policy again good time to review your policies if someone's passed away that you had named as beneficiary um, if you don't have a contingent beneficiary those those uh assets now form part of your estate and then they they go through probate again so again subject to taxes subject to probate taxes you want to avoid those fees if you can the whole point of or one of the big points of life insurance policy is is tax-free and you just want to make sure you avoid uh avoid any of those mistakes of not naming a uh, a contingent beneficiary. Um, forgetting about beneficiary uh, in disability policies, critical illness policies. So not only life insurance policies where you have beneficiaries, but disability policies, critical illness policies, long-term care policies. A lot of these policies will have something called a return of premium, either uh, at a certain point in time or a return of premium on death. Um, these policies um, if you don't name a beneficiary, again, that forms part of the estate subject to probate. Um, and again, Again, this could be substantial amounts of money. If one of these critical illness policies or disability policies, um, you pass away before cashing in on it, um, the premiums could be substantial and, and, and the estate would get this and then be subject to probate. So you want to make sure you avoid that. Um, one of the other things that a, a lot of people uh, that we see recently in the last little while is, is naming uh, charities as beneficiaries. So 
forgetting to include these charities and beneficiaries in policy. So you've got a policy, let's say the husband's passed away and he didn't have any children. And, and you, you've got this policy in place that you've been paying into for years. You want to leave it to someone. You have no one to leave it to, which is a good problem to have, I guess, if you you got all this money and you don't know where to, where to put it. But a lot of people are donating money to charity these days. So you can name your beneficiaries in a policy, um, even though, let's say, your husband was a beneficiary, your wife was a beneficiary. Um, you can switch those beneficiaries anytime. And those beneficiaries can be switched to charities. And uh, there's a couple different benefits to doing that. And we won't get into that on this show today, but we, in the future, maybe we'll get into it. But you definitely, you definitely want to look at if, if charity is, is at home and you want to make sure that some of these charities are taken care of, you can name them as beneficiaries in your policies. Um, and then the other, the, the last thing I'll talk about is the um, not keeping a separate record of the designations and the values. So if you have wishes um, in, your wills and your life insurance and your, your benefits on your RSPs and TFSAs, you want to make sure you identify how much money is going to who. So sitting down with your financial planner, going through what your actual wishes are, who you want to get and receive certain amount of assets. If it's a dollar amount that you want, um, look at doing certain things in a life insurance policy. If there's, there's actual parts of the estate or a percentage of the estate, you have to look at the whole comprehensive plan. So it's life insurance, it's your properties, it's your RSPs, it's your TFSAs, non-registered. Um, and, and look at one of those and make sure that you've, you've accounted for the dollar values in there and possible uh, growth on those dollar values when you pass away and taxes that will be paid. So you really got to look at all those avenues, sit down with your financial planner and go through that um, on an annual basis, my recommendation. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net and you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more about them at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Retirement, a big thing, but you've also got to make sure the money keeps uh, coming in, Don. How do you do that? Absolutely. No, it's, uh, everyone wants that paycheck. It just, you're getting a paycheck, but you're getting it from a different source. Mm. It's no longer an employer. You will get paychecks. And funny enough, uh, you know, as Jay was just talking about insurance, insurance can be part of that paycheck. There's uh, ways to get money out of a life insurance policy without dying. That's the trick here, without dying and uh, having a loan against a policy or using it as a collateral elsewhere. So there, it is an asset class on its own. And I, I know uh, Jay was getting short of time to go over. You can spend hours and hours just on insurance alone. And so it is one area that uh, Jay and I come across so often that's just kind of been put aside and, and hasn't really looked upon as what should I do with this? And it's either doesn't make sense to hold it or needs a lot more, or perhaps there's some adjustments. And I know some of these uh, old term policies that people are paying for, and they've run their course. They don't need them. They've you know, paid off their mortgage if it was for mortgage purposes. But it, you know, there is a, still the advantage with the insurance that quite often they're convertible. 
and they can be converted into a whole life policy and then could be part of your estate planning. So don't quickly just say, okay, great. We don't want to have this insurance anymore. We've done what we, it served its purpose. It, there, it may be able to be morphed into something that's more user for the next stage of your life. So again, insurance planning is extremely important and it is part of the overall financial plan. Uh, probably best though, again, to have somebody that is, is less biased. It's, you know, we offer insurance, but it's, it's, it's part of the puzzle. It's not just the only thing. And, you know, if insurance is the, uh, the, you know, the only tool in your bag, then, you know, pretty much everything is a hammer kind of thing. If you're, so you want to make sure that you have other options and insurance might play a role. It may not, but it might. Yeah. We often sit down with clients that have other insurance policies, not with us, but with other companies. And we, we use that part of the whole comprehensive financial plan. So looking at what, what makes sense from a, from an estate perspective, what makes sense from a, from a financial planning perspective, like you said, there's lots of opportunities in these life insurance policies, especially some of these older policies that have been around for a long time. There's lots of money inside these that can be accessed for retirement savings. Absolutely. And then also, if you're uninsurable as you gotten older, there may have been a, you may have had a something that is now caused you to be uninsurable. It is kind of it is there. It can and, and if it is convertible to whole life, it, it's they go back by your original. You don't have to get you know ex- assessed anymore or a medical assessment to see if you qualify because you qualified back 20, 30 years ago. So anyway, lots of options. And this is and you know, you know the listeners out there it might be an idea to dig them out of wherever you hide these things. Okay, pull them out and talk to your financial planner. Or and if you don't have a financial planner, certainly feel free to give us a call and we'll be more than happy to review those for, with you. You know, that's a, a very interesting point. And Jay brought this up. Many people think that, okay, I need this because I'm at this stage of my life and you, you, you do your due diligence and whatever you have to do and you purchase it and then life changes. Uh, you know, how many people realize, uh, realize that there's more, there's other value in these policies other than dying. You know what I mean? It, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, there's other options there that perhaps some didn't realize they had. Yeah, absolutely could be. And I know, uh, you know, in one case I looked at recently, and I'll be getting to that retirement income soon. But the one case I looked at recently <laughs> is the person had a, a term insurance policy, did not need it. They, they did have a bout of cancer along the way, and it was converted to a whole life policy. Now it's going to be part of the estate plan. Now that person's recovered, and, but they're uninsurable any other way. This is the only insurance they will ever be able to keep. So it, it, and it can be built up and it creates an asset. So again, it all depends on every situation. Like any financial plan, it is not cookie cutter. It is a specific to your situation, whether it makes sense to keep it, change it, or get rid of it. Okay, so going forward, uh, retirement income planning. So there's a lot of people out there right now, and particularly those just finishing their tax returns. Okay, they, they may have paid themselves a dividend last year because they are incorporated. So there's a lot of doctors out there, dentists, other physicians, um, other, and, you know, there's a lot of business owners out there, period that they may have their own personal corporation that is paying them, that they've been putting money into, and then they pay themselves a salary. So they're employees to their own corporation. Now, the advantage of this, if you made $100,000, you paid your corporation and then paid yourself the $100,000, there is no advantage. You, you basically, you pay a lower tax rate on um, being a small business. As a, a, a small business, you get this, what's called a small business deduction. And then you then would pay yourself a dividend and then you pay a lesser tax rate on that dividend, but overall, there's no advantage at all. So if you're simply trying to flow money through a corporation to pay yourself, 
you don't gain. However, the best advantage is if you say made 200,000, you only needed 100 and you kept 100,000 left in the corporation. And in that case, you only paid approximately 15 cents or 15% tax on it. So a lot better than paying yourself that extra 100,000, in which case you would have paid closer to 50% tax because you've already made 100 and now you're gonna pay yourself another 100 as a salary, uh, not a great deal. But if you kept in the corporation, now you got $100,000 on paid tax. So you got $85,000 invested inside the corporation versus if you paid yourself, you would have paid 50% tax approximately and you would have $50,000 personally somewhere. So now the corporation is almost like another RSP for you. You've built up a large nest egg. In fact, I would suggest the largest amounts of money sitting for retirement these days are in corporations because RSPs do have limits. Uh, it may be around 28,000 a year currently, but there's a limit. If you made a million dollars in the corp, you can leave the whole million dollars in the corp. It can continue to grow. And so our, uh, I was, I are definitely our largest clients are ones that have corporations and now the problem is though, just like an RSP, what do you do with it? It keeps building and building over the years. So the one thing is, you know, let's say you retire tomorrow. You say, okay, I'll just continue to pay myself a salary. Probably not a good idea because if you've been working for a long time, you already are likely at the Canada Pension Plan maximum already. And therefore, if you do start paying yourself a salary, you have to make submittance to Canada Pension Plan um, if you're under 65. So you are going to be paying yourself, say, if you've retired at 60, and you're still going to pay that 5.7% Canada Pension Plan on the first $62,000 you earn, plus the corporation pays the same amount. So it works out to practically 12, 11.5% um, that is off right off the get-go, just to the Canada Pension Plan that may not offer you one extra dollar of benefit. So... Now, backtracking a bit, if you own a corporation, there are some people out there that say, I will never pay myself a salary. I'll simply pay myself dividends. And therefore, those people are going to have a very low Canada pension plan. I'm not a big fan of that. I look at a Canada pension plan as almost as Jay's just was talking about, like an insurance policy. Regardless of what happens, you're adding to the Canada pension plan. You're going to get this benefit. Currently, it's about $1,200 per month right now, and it continues to grow depending on what age you take it at. You can get even a lot more. So I, I feel it is one of the building blocks of your retirement plan. But on the way out, you say, okay, to pay yourself a salary, now you, you, it would make very little sense to contribute to it anymore. So therefore, what you'd like to do is you would likely pay dividends at retirement. Now, dividends, there's two types. There's an eligible dividend or a non-eligible. Now, eligible dividends basically are, are dividends from corporations such as any blue chip stocks, and they get what a very large dividend tax credit. So you pay very little tax on these. Uh, Non-eligible dividends are from small business owners, and they qualify for the small business deduction. So on that first 500000 they paid a lower tax rate. Well, if you made a million dollars doing your business, you're... You, are actually in the higher tax rate, which is I think is 26%. So therefore, you would actually get eligible dividends out of your private corp. So it gets a little complicated. At the end of the day, though, there's still a, a good advantage. You've deferred tax by letting it sit there in your corporation for the last, say, 20 years. 
and now you're paying yourself a dividend. And if it's an eligible dividend, uh, basically you don't pay any tax on eligible dividends until you make over $49,000 a year. Once you get over 49 to say 79,000 a year, you're at about seven and a half percent tax. Non-eligible dividends, it's about 10% less tax than your normal rates. So if you're making under 45,000 a year, you're gonna pay nine and a quarter percent versus 20% if it's salary. Now, if you're making between 49,000 and 80,000, you're gonna pay about 20% tax versus 30% tax. So again, about a 10% discount on dividend income. You may say this, hey, this is great. You gotta remember, you did pay the tax when it, the corporation did pay the tax beforehand. So there, it does, it is part of that. So you did pay some tax then, you'll pay some tax later, but you paid some of this tax 20 years ago and you 20 years later, you pay the rest of the tax. That's a great deal. You got to use that money and invest that money all the way away, all the, all the way along the way. And to go back to what Jay was saying, a lot of this could even fund, or some of those proceeds could fund an insurance policy inside your corporation. And that is one of the best ideas from to get money out of the corp going forward. So it's a great idea to look at the corporation and see the insurance needs of yourself and the corporation to see if that's a great idea. I think Jay might agree yeah, to that one. Yeah, just to clarify with that. So yeah, you're putting money, so you leave the money in the corporation. So it's still in the corporation. The, the corporation owns the life insurance policy. So you're continually keeping the money in the corporation. You're not paying any tax on that money while you're while it sits inside the corporation. And then when it's paid out to to either your death, your your beneficiaries or not, then that money goes out tax-free. So it's a way to avoid that taxation. You pull it out of the corporation um, and it sits inside the corporation, not paying tax on it on top of it for those years. For, if it's 20, 30, whatever, how many number of years you want to keep the policy in place. A lot of people will have corporations say, well, you know, what if I sell my corporation? Well, then we have it in your hold co and your hold co can use, the, can have, can have that policy. Yeah, no, it's, and again, this is again, the idea of, of where does insurance fit? As, an over, as a part of your overall plan. And definitely people with um, corporations, it often does fit. So mm-hmm. as you re- so let, going forward now, you've retired and saying, okay, uh, now your wife was kind of active in the business. So she could get a salary from the business still, but you're kind of limited because to pay a salary has to be justified. So if your spouse was, you know, did some part-time work there, well, you might be able to pay her, you know, 20, 30,000 a year. It may not be the, as much as you'd like, but if it's dividend income, you could split it as, as long as she's a shareholder and you can split it 50-50 as long as she has some, as she's considered active in the business. And so you don't have to justify the amount. So dividend income is a great way to income split and makes sense to trying to get your spouse active in the business from that standpoint too. Uh, another part of taking the money out is you, you may have had to throw money into the corporation all these years and it's basically what that's called a shareholder loan. You've lent money to the corporation. Well, now it's tax-free to take it out. It was after-tax money when you put it in. So it's not like a bonus or anything, but some people forget that they had this money in there. And what a great way to fund that new retirement boat or that big trip or whatever you want to get the new vehicle when you retire is using the shareholder loan money. Mm -hmm. Another way though, is what they call a capital dividend account. So if you've got all these investments inside your corporation, you, let's say you invested a half a million dollars and they've grown to a million dollars now. And you say, oh, you know what? You can trigger a gain. 
And so when you trigger a gain in the corp, no different than personally, half the, half the gain is taxable, half the gain is tax-free. Well, the corporation pays the tax on the taxable part. The tax-free portion can flow to you tax-free to the shareholder. So if there is a large item you want to purchase, uh, whatever that might be as in retirement, what a great way to, again, you say, you know what, let's use up some of those capital gains, the tax-free portion of the capital gains. Now, they're, they're cumulative over the years. So you may have had all these tax-free, all these dividends, or sorry, um, capital gain dividends, all the way along the way. You may have sold things, and, you're, and it's really up to you to go to your account and say, okay, what's my CDA, capital dividend account value at now? Because I like to get my hands on that money because we've got this great thing I want to purchase or do when I retire. And, and again, interesting enough also, that tax-free portion, it's just this fictitious account called a CDA, and that's also where the life insurance runs through. So mm -hmm. if you were to pass away, the life insurance runs through this capital dividend account, which allows it to go tax-free. So now let's say you're saying, okay, I've got way too much in the corp. I'm still working. One last thing you may want to consider is an estate freeze. And this is where you would no longer have your estate, your corporation grow any further, and the growth would go into your kids' names thereon in. So they would get the common shares for future growth. You basically locked yours in at a certain rate. And going forward, you would then draw on that preferred shares. So that there's lots of options on how to get the funds out. It's trying to find what's the best part. Now, on top of that, you want to say, oh, well, how do I do it? How do I augment this with my RSPs along with my OAS and CPP? And so this is the, the trick. You really do need to figure out what is the best route to go. Do you take the RSPs out first and, and draw down on the corporation money secondly? Or again, this is, this is tricky. And you're going to pay the tax sooner or later. RSPs are taxed at your full tax rate. So one thing that often makes sense, though, is to defer both the old age security and the Canada Pension Plan. And I actually did this with a client just a, a week ago, and it seemed odd to have her say, you know, I got all these, all these funds, but I, I got too much in the RSPs. So I said, well, let's bring your income to 150,000, pay 43% tax on it. Because the problem is, is she would end up with a lot of clawback. And if she were to pass away, 53.5% would go to the government. By actually doing the math, it's funny enough, it, if she lived to be 97, there is no difference in her net estate. After tax, if she paid 43% now or and, and deferred it, and, and just sorry, paid 43% now rather than deferring it. And I was actually a little shocked because who wants to pay 43% now? But you're going to pay tax on these sooner, sooner or later. So at the end of the day, you want to figure out what if I pull the money out, what's the best strategy, whether it's from the corporation, from the RSPs, or your non register, and come up with a strategy that makes it the most tax effective way, not only to help you while your life, but also help your estate in the future. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management. The number is 905 972 
800-227-7420. A quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net or call them. IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. I guess uh, during a pandemic, we've got lots of time on our hands and a lot of people are (laughs) using the internet to get some research, whether it's for financial purposes. Purposes or not, and uh, you've got a, a little bit of a, a monitor on this on on how much people <laughs> have been searching for financial terms. This is good. It's part of financial yeah, yeah. literacy, is it not? That's it. That's it. You know, and Don, his last uh, his last segment there had many of our listeners probably their heads spinning. There was so much information there, and so I'm going to try and simplify things just a bit. Not not necessarily what Don was talking about, but just. A lot of people are searching and, and looking for advice and trying to do it themselves. And, and that's fine. And it, we encourage people to get, like you said, get, get better with their financial literacy. Um, but searching on Google can kind of take you down a wormhole of, or a rabbit, rabbit hole of, uh, of, a, of a mess of things. And you don't really know what you're, you're looking at. So I'm just going to go through the top, top topics that are searched on Google and, and just share our insight. And Don, you can jump in anytime you want. Yeah, there, but I, I, I'm really hoping it's uh, how to find a CFP. Yeah. Is that one of them? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's easy. You just dial our number and, okay. and you can find, you can find four of them right here. Oh, perfect. So, okay. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the top one was stocks. So people are like, what, what's a stock? What, what is this? So basically what a stock is, you're owning shares of a company. Um, you buy a little piece of that company or a big piece, depending on how much you put into this company. So every, every, every company that's listed on the stock exchange, every company uh, that's, that exists out there that is listed on the stock exchange has shares that you can buy on the stock exchange. Right now on the stock exchange, there's around 1,500 different stocks that you could buy. Um, all varying from small cap to large cap um, blue chip. So what those I'll explain what those mean very quickly. Uh, blue chip are big companies that have been around for a long time, have a lot of integrity, a lot of strength, often issuing dividends. Um, and I'll get into that in a minute. Um, so strong companies that not necessarily always go up, but uh, in general, they're, they're strong companies and you can feel confident investing in them. There are small cap companies that are out there. Uh, small cap companies would be something like, um, you know, these food delivery services that are out now, they're just starting out, they're getting their, their, their legs underneath them, like a company like Good Food is a small cap company. So it might be a great company to invest in. But again, who knows where it's going to be in the next little while. So the smaller companies are generally uh, more aggressive or more volatile in terms of the price of the stock. Generally, the sh- the actual price of that stock might be smaller in the beginning. And as the company grows, the share price goes up. So definitely different types of stocks. Uh, mid-cap companies would be something like a, a cargo uh, and large cap would be something like our company, IGM, or IG Wealth Management, um, large cap companies, RBC, things like that. Um, bonds. So bonds, you basically loan your money to, um, to a lender. Um, the bond issuer in exchange for the money you're lending them repays you uh, your original principal back plus, plus interest. So the terms of those all differ. There are all different types of bonds that are out there. You can 
can lend money to the government of uh, Terry, uh, you can lend it to Hydro, you can lend it to corporations. So there's a bunch of different types of bonds out there. Um, they're, they're generally classed as, as the best type of bonds are AAA bonds. And those are the lowest risk, generally lowest return too. Not always, but generally the lowest return. And then you've got something um, on the other end of the spectrum, um, which are, are classed as C bonds or junk bonds. And those generally pay a higher rate of return, um, but a lot more risk involved with those Hence uh, the name junk bond. Yep. Yeah. yeah junk bonds so <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah garbage <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh dividends so dividends is um uh, a payment on your stock so if you going back to the stocks if you own a stock in a company um as a reward for owning those stocks companies will say thank you very much for owning the stocks um we're going to provide a, a payment either in the form of of cash or in the form of more stocks and it's issued to the shareholders. So you hold on to the shares for a certain period of time. It's like a reward, basically, that they're giving you for holding on to those. Um, mutual funds was the fourth best or fourth most searched topic. Uh, mutual fund is a, is a pool of funds. Um, so a company pools the money from many, many different people, um, puts it into stocks, bonds, real estate, other types of investment classes. And now you're part of owning every investment within inside that mutual fund. So a mutual fund may have hundreds of different investment holdings. And if you put in $100, you're buying a slice of every one of those investments. So it's, it's nice to get it to be a piece of it. It'd be impossible for you to go out and buy all 100 of those investments or, or, or several hundred of those investments with your $100 or even $100,000, it would be tough. You know, there's lots of stocks out that are trading at 10 cents. And then there's, there's, you know, Berkshire Hathaway that's trading at almost 500,000. So um, very difficult to buy uh, individual stocks. Don, you had a point? And, and interesting enough, regardless of the amount of money you have invested in a mutual fund, whether it was $100 or a million dollars, everybody gets the same return. Obviously, the return percentage is, is going to get you more money if you've got more money in it, but everybody gets identical return. And that, that's a nice, the beauty of a mutual fund. Yeah, no, for sure. The last one I'll talk about here is ETF. So that's a, a it's a acronym, uh, exchange traded fund is what it stands for. Uh, similar to a mutual fund. However, it, ETFs are, are bought and sold on the stock exchange and stock exchange is the next one. And I'm not going to be able to get into it because we're going to run out of time here, but uh, ETFs are bought on the stock exchange. They're bought as of that second or that minute when you purchase the stock, whereas regular mutual funds are valued at the end of the day. So when you purchase a mutual fund, you're purchasing, let's say you purchase a mutual fund today, you're getting the price at the end of the day. If you buy an ETF, you're getting the purchase at that point in time when you purchase it. So a little bit different. They're, they're similar, but, uh, they do have differences in terms of how they're priced. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. A lot of people talking about the difficulties in owning a home. Some may be doing it with their partners. Um, How do you buy a house together? Yeah, and that, that's tricky. Now, if you go to 
any lawyer and own a house or buy a house and they set it up, basically it's the default is what they call joint tenancy. It's like a joint bank account. It's like a joint investment. You're, you're equal partners on this. And if the, you know, great way to go. And basically what happens if one were to pass away, the other person would own it, which is really what you want 90% of the time. It's quite simple and it doesn't go through the will. It doesn't go through probate. It's simply you show the death certificate and, and automatically the deed is now owned by the survivor. And that is, like I said, is, is the default. Now, a lot of people aren't aware, though, use an, another option to own your house. And that's called tenancy in common. And so let's say Bob and Mary, uh, second marriage, both of them, they have two kids each. And they buy a house together. You know, the, the, the relationships worked its way. We're going to get a house together. We're selling our two houses and we're getting one house. And if they don't say anything, it's not really the lawyer's fault here, but they'll just be put in a joint tenancy or a joint account, like I mentioned, which if one were to pass away, let's say Bob were to pass away, automatically Mary now owns the house. Well, what about Bob's two kids? They might have a bit of a say in this, okay? So, and often the house is, off, is usually the largest asset somebody has. So if it's a you know, million and a half dollar house, seven, and it's mortgage-free, 750,000 now is owned by Mary. Well, no problem. Well, when Mary passes away, I'm sure she'll be fine and she'll give the proceeds to, to Bob's two kids. Well, not necessarily. She has her own will. And I would suspect her will will say that all my belongings go to my two kids. And Bob, his previous will, before he passed away, it probably said my all my belongings or a good portion of them go to my two kids. And uh, that doesn't happen in, if it's joint tenancy. So tenancy in common now means Bob would own 50% of a house and Mary owns 50% of a house and they're separate. So therefore, if Bob passes away, Bob's portion now could say, where is that going? Well, it could go directly to his two kids. So the two kids would now own the house. Well, that could get kind of half a house. That gets a little messy. So often they'll say, well, Mary will have first right of refusal to buy the house. So buy it off Bob's two kids at fair market value. Now that's generally a new relationship. So if it's a fairly new relationship, it's kind of to get out of the, you know, the situation where you say, okay, I'm taking advantage of this person. He's got lots of money. And I, you know, I got this house and, and therefore if he passes away, it goes to me. It definitely gets rid of that because in tenants and joint tenants in common, his 50% has to go through his will. And so they'll have such a six month clause. Okay. Mary has six months to buy Bob's house out, or if he, she can't, the house is put up for sale and the million and a half dollars, 750 goes to Bob's two kids and 750 goes to Mary and Mary can then try to find another house. Now, over time, the relationship gets more cemented, a little longer term, and they become codependent. And this is where it gets tricky. Let's say you're 25, 30 years into a relationship, and this is still a second marriage. And they are really, Bob's, uh, Mary's totally dependent on Bob's income. And Bob's actually dependent on Mary's income. They both got the Canada pension plan, both got their old age security, their RIF payments. They, they couldn't afford to get a house. They would have to find rent or something. So in those cases, often what they'll do is this is where it's important to update your will. So 
Bob says, okay, it's still 50% mine, but if I were to pass away, Mary gets to continue living in that house as long as she wants or until her death. And as soon as she moves out of the house, my two kids get the other half. Again, very different than joint tenancy because joint tenancy is Mary gets all the money and, and the Bob's two kids may never see it. Don maybe, Mary. Com- Don, maybe comment on the fact, you know, once you set it up one way, can you switch it to the other way? Yeah, that's, that's tricky. You have to change the deed of that case, in that case. Right. So if it's set up a joint tenancy, this is actually a case I, I had recently where, unfortunately, we'll call this person Bob. He had cancer and he had, didn't have long to live. So we went through to make sure it was done joint tenancy or tenancy in common. And thankfully, it was done tenancy in common. They did, had, they did talk about it before, but they weren't sure. And I would say that's the anomaly. Most times it would be joint tenancy and it, and now you're scrambling to change all the, the, the deed and the ownership of the house to tenants and tenants in common. So a very important part of your estate planning, there's, you know, with call it 50% of marriages end up in divorce. And if you look at the second relationships, that's where it gets tricky. If it's your first relationship, no problem. You know, it's your it's your first husband or wife and the husband or wife's going to get in upon their death. It then goes to your children very straightforward. But this is on a second marriage, definitely for all those listeners out there, if, you, if, the, if you're on your second marriage and you have kids, you, want, you definitely want to check the ownership of your house to make sure it's what you want and make sure the will is really what you want to happen with the house because the will then sets all the rules for that half the house. Sit down with your financial planner, they'll go through all this for you and then you go to your lawyer from there and say, okay, this is what I want done with my ownership. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more about them at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Thank you, gentlemen. Another great show. Have a great week. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Thanks, Scott. Have a good one. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.